A reading from Psalm 139, which you can find on page 628 of the Church Bibles if you want to follow it. Psalm 139, verses 1 to 18. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. You hem me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up into the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light becomes night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you, the night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's stand to hear. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord. Some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father? They kept saying, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born unto the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. 
In that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for these two um, rich and um, striking passages brought to our attention this morning. A psalm of worship and an urgent encouragement. Would you lift us in worship and encourage us with your words and your love for us? this morning. Amen. Well, today completes our summer school of prayer, uh, which this year we have uh, uh, devoted to the prayer of waiting. And I can tell you there's been a lot of waiting prayer going into these chairs. It's been 11 years as long as I can tell, since I've been trying to change. I'll tell you a funny story. My first um, staff meeting I, uh, I gathered everybody around. I gave them the kind of, um, you know, the epoch-making speech. And I said, OK, guys, test of our leadership. We all knows what, know what chairs we want to have, so let's just make it happen, all right? OK, next staff meeting, having done a bit of research, I said, OK, guys, this is clearly going to be very difficult. Let's not make it a test of our leadership. <laughs> and so we moved on. Anyway, here we are at last, 11 years later. And, um, and how lovely it, these chairs have become in that time. So over this, school, this summer school of prayer, we've thought about a number of ways, a number of kinds of waiting prayer. We've thought about waiting through the wilderness of the grim times of our life, waiting through the wine press of our struggle and suffering for others, waiting through the night with those who are dying, and waiting through the winter of our own grief. It's been quite a hard summer. Well, today, we think about the most positive time of waiting, waiting for new life to grow, the waiting prayer of the womb. So as I came to pre prepare this sermon, I found myself asking the most obvious question, why me? I don't have a womb, so how can I talk about it? Well, I shall just have to do my best. I'm sorry, ladies. You'll have the enjoyment of knowing, of smiling to yourself as I uh, fumble and uh, struggle. At least I can comfort myself with the fact that Jesus, a man, used this image to speak of something very, very important to himself, to his disciples, also men. And the psalmist, too, uses this striking and surprising image as an act of devotion and worship. You knit me together in my mother's womb. 
The maternal womb is a dark and intimate place where future life comes into being. When someone is pregnant, we say that they are expecting a very good word, full of expectation of what is to come. Her womb is the place where a waiting mother cherishes into being the seed of new life, which is so precious, so fragile and beautiful beyond words. Those of you who have already conceived and gestated life within you know that urgent longing to greet that which, to which you are uh, growing within you. Those of you who haven't yet been able to know what a bitter pill that is, can be to swallow. And those for whom this is still in the future understand what a powerful potential lies within you to create, to do something extraordinary and uniquely creative. We men can only watch on in wonder. And yet all of us are drawn into the wonder of the psalmist at what we have grown in and into ourselves. During gestation, the fetus must grow through each successive stage of development, unseen and without intentional assistance from mother or father. What an anxious time, waiting, desperately hoping that this new life is unfurling healthily and strongly through every stage. Waiting till at last he or she is ready to live and breathe and take its rightful place in the world. The waiting of the womb requires patience. It cannot safely be hurried. No one, no sensible person plans to do their pregnancy in less than 40 weeks, however convenient that might be for the boss. And it requires effort, obviously, discomfort, self-restraint, and eventually the shattering agony of delivery. What can I say to my own mother and to all of you other mothers here today? But thank you. And also, it could be worse. If you were a horse, it would be 11 months. If you were a rhino, more than a year. If you are an elephant, we're coming on to uh, uh, two years. And if you were a frilled shark, three and a half years. <laughs> and if you were a baby, if it was a baby whale, if you were a blue whale, you would be giving birth to a baby that was 25 foot long, three tons in weight, and feeding enough breast mi milk in order to, grow, to grow 200 pounds a day. It doesn't bear thinking of, does it? Some waiting is full of longing, so full of longing that it hurts. It takes us through agonizing pain and loss till we receive the joy that we've longed for. That, of course, is the intense experience of expectant mothers but it is also the experience of many other people too. On the night before his crucifixion, Jesus said to his disciples, I have fervently longed to eat this meal, this Passover, with you before I suffer. And then he said to them, in effect, and you too will suffer. But while you are suffering in the darkness of the tomb, New life will be coming to birth and an inexpressible intensity of joy 
will burst upon you and overwhelm you so that you will no longer remember the labor and the agony through which it came. And so we find this patient but frustrating, womb-like waiting for new life is our experience in many other ways as well. On Friday, I took my daughter to Leeds to begin her PGCE. Finally, Emily has been planning to take a PGCE since she was three and first had a younger brother who could sit upright and be told what to do. <laughs> to begin with, it's true, most of her lessons involved taking the register of all her teddies and James. But now, 20 years later, she has grown in knowledge and confidence and creativity. Till now, she's ready to approach her vocation directly. And how well I remember my own sense of vocation growing within me through years of discipleship and church ministry, an intense longing to serve Jesus, formed and shaped by long hours of discussion and prayer and planning that finally brought me to the Na National Selection Conference. And then a week waiting on tenterhooks to find out their decision that they hadn't recommended me. It was as if that calling died within me. It took another two years to dare even to think such thoughts again and a further year <clears throat> to bring those thoughts back to the boil. Although the second time I went through the process I was more anxious, I was also far more sure inside that serving Christ's church was all I wanted for my life. How painful, how nervous and unconfident that desperate longing to hear a yes from the second panel. And then, when I did, nine months of waiting for the start of term, I noticed that it was nine months. Nine months to allow my vocation to gestate and to grow and to change my whole life. Perhaps you've had a similar experience. Maybe it's a special relationship unfolding. Some of you already know that Jitesh, our previous associate vicar, has now met Bridget. And they are tentatively feeling their way forward to discover if this friendship is forever. And if you hadn't heard that, you won't have heard the very latest news, which I got on my phone just last night, that she said yes. And he's allowed me to tell you that. Something growing secretly to fruition couldn't be rushed, couldn't be moved on more quickly. The waiting had to happen. Or perhaps you have a dream of the life that you want to live or the work that you want to do. Or perhaps there's a novel germinating inside you or the seed of God's presence has been growing quietly, unexpectedly within you into fully formed faith. Or perhaps you sense a, you sense a calling to help plant a congregation or, or to go to the mission field. To put it the other way around, Jesus is calling you. He has for you a glorious, significant, and possibly unexpected calling flowing from all that you are 
and all that you have experienced and learned. But it may not happen today. A butterfly can't be helped to escape its chrysalis. It must struggle to emerge itself, or its wings won't grow strong enough to fly. And children have to be tested by frustration and denial so that they can grow strong in their personality and their grasp of the world. Every job has its trials, as we know, and every ability its repetitive exercises, uh, so we grow in strength and skill. Most people, I discover from watching my children, can't pass a driving test the first time they get into a car. Muscles grow as they are stretched. Neural pathways are developed. We cannot short-circuit what happens in secret. Our identity becomes secure in the power and intimacy of God's love for us. Our faith is purified like silver and gold by the trials that we endure. Our character grows rich and strong and enduring in the secret times of testing. Our calling awaits God's right time. <clears throat> Whether it's pregnancy or discerning vocation or developing character or bringing vision to birth, the days drag by so slowly as you wait for the chairs to come. They have to do that. This is terribly frustrating for us. Accustomed as we are to being in the driving seat and having what we want right away, it can be disconcerting, even discouraging, to be forced to wait. It can make us irritable and resentful. But there is no way to hurry the womb. We have to wait. And as we wait, we learn patience and humility that the most precious things in life are a gift from God and not ours to own. We are forced to slow down, but we live our life more intensely. We ache with the exquisite tension between what we already have and what we don't yet have. As Paul says, in our, as Paul says creation itself is groaning in expectation, waiting to be set free from its bondage to decay. And, he says, we too groan inwardly as we wait eagerly to be adopted as God's children and receive the redemption of our bodies. We are caught between the now and the not yet of Jesus' kingdom, of the hope that's within us and the hope that's before us. And we ache with longing for it to come into being and for us to enter fully into all the joy that we have already tasted. Well, Paul goes on, who hopes for what they see? Well, you can't see what's in the womb. But if we hope for what we do not yet see, we wait for it with patience. And as we wait, we pray. And these prayers are the most wonderful, hopeful prayers. We pray naturally for the life that's within us or within the one we love. Whether it's a fetus, whether it's a dream, whether it's a vocation or faith itself that's slowly growing, we pray for its safety, we pray for its healthy and right development within this womb. And as we are praying, we are also noticing what's happening inside. The first fluttering signs of life. 
Think of the farmer's anticipation as he watches first the green shoot to come through the earth, then the blade, and then the ear, and finally the full corn to appear. Isaiah says, Behold, I am doing a new thing, says the Lord. Do you not perceive it? Noticing makes our anticipation real. And it lets us celebrate and give thanks for what we notice is going on unseen. I'm sure it's the same in the classroom or anywhere else where we watch people developing and growing slowly. We notice a new thing and we give thanks for it in hope. And we pray for its time to come. Not our preferred time, but the right time, God's time. And we pray for all that that time will bring forth, for all that will come to be, for this new life, its potential and purpose, and the joy it will bring. And we pray for God's blessing to be upon and through and around this new life, going before it to prepare a place for it, coming afterwards to protect it, going above it to inspire it and under it to uphold it, and alongside it to accompany it and lead it forwards into all that the Father intends. What glorious prayers these are. Before our children were born, Rachel and I found ourselves praying for their spouses and their children and their grandchildren. We don't know what the future is, but our longings and our prayers and our hopes were for all that might come to be through them. And as I prayed for my vocation, Certainly, I prayed too for all those who would come to faith through me and those with whom they would pass on faith to others. And whilst we're waiting and praying, there is something else that we're doing too, unnoticed even by us. We are nurturing the life that is within us, giving of our blood and our energy, our soul and our strength, to help it grow. If we feel tired, it's a sure sign of all that we are secretly giving. While waiting for this new thing to happen, we need to keep giving ourselves, the very best of ourselves, to it. Not poisoning ourselves with alcohol and drugs, with despair and godless talk or images, but rather nourishing ourselves with rest and trust, with hope and love so that we, in turn, can nurture what's growing within us. And then finally, we will have that glorious gift of naming what has come to birth, of recognizing and declaring it to the world. What a joy that is. And the psalmist in our first reading, sorry, for the psalmist in our first reading, it was his own life his own physical life, known and loved by God even in the womb, for which he gave thanks and which he declared to the world. For the disciples, it would be new resurrection life, recognized when Jesus stepped from the tomb. So here are my questions for you this morning. What is the Father growing in you? What are you praying for 
to come into being? What are you noticing about it as it grows? And how are you nurturing yourself so that you can nourish its growth? What will you have the joy of naming and declaring to the waiting world? I'm going to finish with a blessing. May the God of all grace, who called you to follow his Son, Christ Jesus our Lord, establish, strengthen, and settle you in your faith, defend you on every side, guide you in truth and peace, and give you the joy of welcoming all that he is bringing to birth in and through you until he welcomes you into his eternal glory.